Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. He played 18 years of professional football, including eight with the Buffalo Bills in the old AFL, and another eight with the Washington Redskins. He still holds the record for most interceptions by a defensive lineman. He was all AFL five times, was a member of two AFL championship teams, and figured prominently on George Allen's famous over-the-hill gang. Yet. When the conversation turns to the Hall of Fame, his name is rarely mentioned. Well, he should be right in the middle of that conversation. And next, on Sports Forgotten Heroes, the dancing bear himself, Ron McDole. He'll join us as we talk about his terrific career. This is Sports Forgotten Heroes, a tribute to the stars who shape the games we love to watch and the games we love to play. Stars who provided us with many thrills, but when their time was up, they faded away. We'll take a look back at their spectacular careers, their moments of fame, even if it was just for one season or just one game. And now, here's your host, Warren Rogan. Hello and welcome to Sports Forgotten Heroes. You know, I try to match each podcast with a sport that's in season, which, by the way, is not the easiest thing to do. And when presented with an opportunity to speak with an actual forgotten hero, as opposed to an author or writer or researcher, about someone who has long since passed, you have to take advantage of that. So today, we're going to talk some football. Now, while it's not the height of the football season, not by a long shot, free agent season is upon us, the draft is coming up, And so many people love talking about football 365 days a year. So, why not talk a little football with a guy who played the game for 18 years and a guy who many think has been overlooked for enshrinement into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, Ron McDole. Ron played college ball at Nebraska well before the Cornhuskers became the powerhouse that consistently contended for national championships under guys like Tom Osborne. Following his college career, Ron had a choice. Either go to the American Football League or try to make it in the well-established National Football League. He chose the latter and started his career with the then St. Louis Cardinals. He played for the Cards for one year and was cut. Next up, he signed on with the Houston Oilers and again only played one year before being released, and we'll get into the reasons why he was released later on today's show. After Houston, Ron wound up with the Buffalo Bills and Lou Saban. And that's where his career really took off. And he finished his career with the Washington Redskins and the legendary George Allen. Ron, simply stated, had a fantastic career. And we're going to get into all of it with Ron himself in just a moment. 
First, though, just a little housekeeping. You can follow Sports Forgotten Heroes on Twitter at SportsFHeroes, stay in touch with us by looking for our page on Facebook, or visit SportsFH.com where you can learn more about each of our guests and each of our topics. Send in comments, make suggestions for future episodes, see who's coming up on future shows, and search the archives for previous episodes. Also, if you get a moment and like what you're hearing, please give us a five-star rating. And please, spread the word. Let your friends and family know about Sports Forgotten Heroes. They might like the podcast, too. Okay, back to Ron. Like I said, he played 18 years of professional football. And, as you can imagine, took quite a beating. And, unfortunately, some of that was evident during our interview. So, what I have done is interjected several summaries or statements or commentary through, throughout the podcast to help everyone better understand what he's discussing. And a lot of my commentary comes from Ron's wonderful and recently released book, The Dancing Bear, My 18 Years in the Trenches of the AFL and NFL, which is really a fun and easy-to-read book. Ron talks about the great defenses he played on in Buffalo with guys like Tom Sestak, Jim Dunaway, Tom Day, teammates like Cookie Gilchrist, Paul McGuire, and Jack Kemp, and later on with Washington with guys like Jack Pardee and Billy Kilmer and Sonny Jurgensen. And as for the nickname, the Dancing Bear, well, that was coined by Jurgensen. In his book, McDole was talking about Jurgensen, and McDole wrote, and I quote, Ron McDole is a special person, and he was a special player, Sonny said. He had such very quick feet. He was almost impossible to block. Some guys have quick hands. Ron had quick feet. Well, he did nickname me the Dancing Bear. So why did Jurgensen call him the Dancing Bear? Well, the quick feet. And there was also the night in Georgetown that Ron showed off his dancing moves that might have contributed to that nickname as well. Yes, Ron McDowell enjoyed an illustrious career, won a lot of games, and he played on some great teams. Now, one more note. Again, like my recent show with Red Kelly, Ron, like I said, unfortunately is not a spring chicken and he does stray a little and speaks a little loudly into his phone. So there is a little overmodulation, and I apologize for that. But that's also the charm of doing such a show with one of football's forgotten heroes. Take it for what it is. There's a lot of terrific stuff in here and Ron has such a great personality. And when you have the opportunity to sit and speak with a treasure like Ron McDole, you don't say no. So, now, here on Sports Forgotten Heroes is the dancing bear himself, Ron McDole. Hey, Ron, welcome to Sports Forgotten Heroes. I am thrilled that you could join us. Oh, great. Well, great. I can make it. You played your college ball at Nebraska before the Cornhuskers became one of college football's elite programs. But if I follow correctly, you actually liked baseball better than football, but you did end up going to Nebraska on a football scholarship. What did you like about 
baseball so much, and why? Well, that, did, yeah. that was basically my older brother. My older brother, who was five years older, was uh, played uh, baseball, and he was a baseball pitcher, and he was very successful. We were lived in Toledo, Ohio. He played for the old Toledo Mudhens for mm. a while, and uh, he was a very good baseball player, and. and he was a pitcher, so he needed a catcher. So yes, he did all the catching. <laughs> <laughs> and so I went and, and he, he was he was a good ball player, but uh, he played a little bit in the minor leagues. But um, it gets started, and that was the main reason. And of course, uh, uh, our uh, high school Toledo Davis, he was uh, you know five years difference in age, but. The coach, we had a great coach there that was coaching us and played with the Yankees for a while. Uh-huh. And uh, when it came around, he, he was my, uh, when the university started coming around with the ball players, uh, he was uh, he was my, uh, what you would call, you know, uh, person to go to and, and, uh, and get involved with what was going on. Well, his, his one of his friends when he was playing in the minor leagues was uh, coaching Nebraska baseball, mm-hmm. and so he said uh, I was asking about why I go to school, and he said, "Well, he said if you want to try to you know you ought to keep on playing baseball," and he said, "But he says um, I, Nebraska." He says uh, my old roommate when I was in playing in the minors. Uh, is coaching out there, and he said, "If you're interested, you want to go to Nebraska." He said, "I'll give him a call, and I'm sure he'll get you a scholarship." Because it ain't baseball scholarships are were not given out at not like a, a basketball or football. Mm-hmm. So I said, "Well, yeah." So he set up a visit for me. And that's how I ended up out there, but I never played baseball for <laughs> right. You ended up playing football. How did how did you end up playing football? Well, it was kind of like the, I didn't read the fine print. <laughs> <laughs> it was like when I came around the spring, and of course, Nebraska was all going crazy trying to be Oklahoma uh, all the time, and uh, so uh, when I came around the uh, uh, spring uh, football. They uh, kind of, I kind of thought I could go to the baseball. I went down there, and they they said, "Well, <laughs> we'd love to have you, but we're not we're going to we can't steal you from the football team." <laughs> ah, interesting, interesting. Let's talk a little bit about football, though. In reading okay. your book, everything that I read, everything that everybody says about Ron McDowell is that you were quick, you're agile. You were relentless in your pursuit. Where did that come from? Where did that style of play come from? Well, it's like I had some good coaches, actually, even in high school. We we had uh, uh, some great coaches, and uh, they worked with them. And of course, I, I, I you know, you, you had to be able to play almost anywhere when you were in high school. Mm-hmm. And I played a lot of different. Positions. Most of them, I was bigger. I got bigger than a lot of the kids at that time. But uh, I got, uh, I got, the, I got to the point where if somebody got hurt, and this this carried over to me, even when I got into the pros, is, is if somebody got hurt, I was usually the guy that got 
you know, had to change. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, if the if the guard got hurt, then I would have to play the game and replace him, and so on and that type of thing. So when I got into the pro, when I went to the I was drafted and ended up playing with the the Cardinals, which are uh, uh, the old Chicago Cardinals, who it uh, moved from Chicago to uh, um, San Luis. And um, I, uh, we had a lot of injuries on that team. We had a great team, but we, we just, you know, we, it was suffering. So I ended up being moved a lot because I could play both uh, offense and defensive line uh, any any of the positions. And so uh, I had to spend a lot of time learning people's plays and that type of stuff. So. That was the main thing, and then being being doing that instead of being in one position. Uh-huh. So I spent most of my time playing defensive uh, end, and also I played the tackle, and uh, I played offensive end. I never played center. I don't think trust me at all. Anyway, but basically I was the guy that I moved and learned all the plays by the end of the week for the game when whoever and whatever or where we're playing. How much did that help you understand what the opposition was doing? So when you were on defense, one of the other things I read was that you studied the tendencies of other players and how they were, where they were looking before the snap or how their feet were positioned or you saw something in their stance and that helped you to know whether it was going to be a pass play or a run or where the ball was going. Talk about that. Talk about how playing all those other positions helped you understand what the offense was going to do. What kind of advantage did that give you? Well, that was I, I just picked that up. I was taught that by, you know, some of the people that work with me and that type of thing. And one of the big things is is that they say you're going to be out there and you and you you know you're going to have to run everywhere. I mean, it's not like uh, uh, I was in that sports short area there in college where we you, you we played. You played all the way at both times. You, mm-hmm. you, 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 you just didn't play defense. You played offense, and you moved from the other way, and then it changed in that period of time. But the theory of it and, and the idea of it is that there's a lot of things to look for that are free. You look for players who may be leaning or looking uh, type of things. They may be looking where they're going to block. Uh, that type of stuff. Uh, the other big thing you always worked on, you looked at all their plays and studied their films and looked at, you know, they're not going to change that much. And so the big thing is you just keep, you run, pursuit, chase. <laughs> right. People, people, it takes a long time. The hardest thing, I always thought was funny, the hardest thing for players to learn when they came out of college was to, uh, no matter what position it played, was to, uh, Learn how to pursue when you, you know, on defense, you, you've got to learn how to take the pursuit angle. So it cuts your angle down and it cuts your distance down. So you may not be a, you know, uh, the fastest man in the world, but you sure can go a lot faster and a lot quicker mm-hmm. to get where you got to go. And that was a big help. That helped you cut off, uh, certain uh, angles and, uh, type of thing. And, and they just tried to study the players looking for every little help. 
but when I got you know, got into the pros and, uh, and later in my career, if they had started anything else, is that you get you get a lot of that from the guys you're playing with. Uh-huh. A lot of them study people, and they just tell you about it, and you know what to look for. Uh-huh. You know, if you're going to run all the way across the field on the other side, you take the right angle, at least you can make the tackle. Maybe it's a 30-yard gain, but you get to stop them. And so that worked a lot. And so it's like anything else. You just got to spend time on it and uh, and stay on the field and uh, keep them hurt. You don't want to get hurt. Mm-hmm. I really don't got hurt other than when I had the migraine problem, right. which created a big problem for me when I started. Right, but, we'll get uh, to that. We'll get to that in a second. When you were originally drafted in the fourth round of the 1961 NFL draft by the St. Louis Cardinals, and at the same right. time, you were drafted in the fourth round of the AFL draft by the Denver Broncos. Why did right. you choose to play for the Cardinals instead of the Broncos? Well, well that was the first year the NFL had really was in existence, uh, basically. And uh, that was a big question. A lot of guys didn't know really what to do. And, of course, my feeling was that, of course, I, the Canada came down and talked to, to me, and, uh, which, was, uh, which was fine. Uh, they you know they, they paid more they paid more money mm-hmm. were paid more money but uh, the AFL was going to, NFL was drafting last instead of and they were all waiting around at the last minute and they're sending people to come and talk to you and that type of thing and so it was a situation where you it was kind of up to you I kind of wanted to play in the NFL because I thought I, I could but I wasn't sure and I thought well. You know, if uh, they offer them any money, maybe I will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there was a lot of great ball players that that year. Actually, you know, you had uh, outstanding ball players uh, playing, and I ended up playing with a lot of them. But um, I, so in the last minute, I decided that uh, uh, I wouldn't go. I would sign with uh, the Cardinals, and of course, Pat Fisher. We were roommates, and, and we were in college together and played together at Nebraska. He was mm-hmm. a big star in the backfield. So we both signed draft choices and uh, mm-hmm. and went and went and played with the crowd, which was good, too. It was good to be with somebody. And we went out there and said, oh, we can make it. <laughs> <laughs> now, ironically, but, though, you enjoyed some of your best years playing in the AFL. In fact... After just one year with the Cardinals, you did go to the AFL to play for the Houston Oilers. Why? Well, what happened is the Cardinals, um, the AFL, uh, I mean, the Houston team in the AFL, the, they switched coaches. Papa Ivy went to uh, there, and, and uh, the other coach came from the Cardinals, came up. He was from Canada anyway, mm-hmm. uh, coach. And so... I was in a situation where uh, I, I was fine. I was happy with the Cardinals, and I enjoyed it. The only big problem was that I did. Plus, I got opportunity to play a lot of different positions and type of thing. And uh, so, then the following year, when I came back, what happened in the off season? They uh, they switched coaches. Okay, so here's what happened: the Cardinals were coached by Pop Ivy. 
He took over the team in 1958 when the Cardinals were still in Chicago, and he went 4-19-1. The Cards moved to St. Louis, and in their first season there, they went 6-5-1. But in 1961, Ivy and the Cardinals slipped and fell to 5-7, and and Ivy resigned. Now, Ivy moved on to coach the Houston Oilers, who were coming off their second straight AFL championship. Their coach, Wally Lem, had resigned to become, ironically, the coach of the Cardinals. <laughs> A strange trade of sorts. Well, The Cardinals had cut McDole, and Ivy, looking to build a stronger defense, signed McDole. The Oilers went 11-3, but lost in the championship game to Dallas, 20-17. That's the Dallas Texans. Unfortunately for McDole, he didn't get to participate because of a severe case of migraine seizures. Okay, so I want to know. Migraine seizures. I'd never had a migraine seizure. Yeah, what happened there? How severe were they? Well, I really had them severe. I didn't know they were that bad. My father apparently had them. I didn't even know that. Uh, the early time I went into the seizure in the first game I played for him, and we were playing out on the West Coast against San Diego, I believe it was. And uh, so I was, you know, like anything else, like I had on every team. <laughs> and, uh, so I was covering kicks and punts and whatever. And uh, I got hit and I got kind of cuckooed. And, well, I went into kind of seizures. And so then I was, you know, that was it. I mean, they got flew home off the team. And then when we landed, they, they were all kind of scared because most people then. You know, normally when you're traveling, your, your medical staff is always guys who work on knees and, uh-huh. and that type of thing, ankles and shoulders and broken bones. And all I had was a couple of girls there who were stewardesses, I guess. And so they had it. I kept going. They had them keeping me, icing me down and doing stuff. And so when we landed, they took me straight to the hospital. And so I was over there for four or five days. And they were trying to figure out what the heck was wrong with me. Because that wasn't a very popular situation at that time, uh, having that type of a, a reaction. I think. That really had an effect on your career because you really didn't get to play too much with Houston. And one year later, you found yourself with Buffalo. So how did you get from Houston to Buffalo? What happened well, there? That was the best thing in the amateur. <laughs> Surprise. And, of course, I was... Then I was just, I didn't know what to do. I, they, of course, they quit paying me. I mean, they wouldn't let me take my check because I was in the hospital injured. And, and I was going to uh, pop behind me all the time and say, look at you, gotta get <laughs> I got to get out. I got to get paid. And I got to go down. No, he said, I need you. I need you to play. You know, do this or that. So-and-so got hurt last week and that type of thing. And, uh-huh. and, and Billy Hannon is whooping around need somebody from there. So he said, so they, you know, I had finally decided what was wrong with me after all these tests. And uh, so then that was a case of me trying to get out of there. And they were trying to just unload me because they, you know, figured I'd have to go to a lot of, be stuck in the hospital forever. Right. And that really didn't happen, but I got some help from some people that knew a lot about them. 
And uh, so they had some players and uh, people they knew. And so I finally got to the point where I could, uh, they released me and they did release me. But fortunately, I I was with, uh, I stopped by, I, I stopped by Minnesota because they just started up the team and Van Brocklin was, uh, getting every guy he ever played with. <laughs> uh-huh. and so, so it was, I, I really didn't, you know, of course, they had a great defense. So I was just kind of passing through, you know, it's kind of free and they, they sent me and I was checked by them and, and then they went, I went through all that stuff with them and then finally they, uh, they released me again. I was like the last, one of the last guys that was released of the year and, so I just uh, I was I had a job, teach school shop thing like that. But I lived, I lived in there in Ohio too. So I just got on my flight and flew them home. And when I landed, uh, Saban had called me because uh, they you know they always tracked it. But we played against uh, Buffalo uh-huh. uh, when I was with uh, Houston. And they said, "Well, what the hell happened there?" And I said, "Well, I got hit in the head, and and they they just were scared that I was." And so, so we'll we'll I'll, we'll check you out. That's no problem. He said, well, "We need different Paul Blair, and we can get that type of thing." And and so I ended up. Uh, I said, "Well, I'll, you know, I'll um, I'll fly down." And of course, there was no flight down to where I had to go, where they were training at. So. I drove down and then, you know, basically introduced myself. And they said, well, you don't have to introduce yourself. We, we know you. We, that's why we, we got you when we played against you. You were one of the hustling ball players that we kind of need and that type of thing. And uh, so he said, uh, we, we we can use you right now. And he says, we're going to start. Our game, the season starts in another week. He filed for me at my, my uh, information. And when I came back, I was refused because I had a, I had a bad head, and it was on, from a report from in, from Houston, mm-hmm. and uh, he named the, the guy the guy who's he was reading the thing when he was talking to me, and he says, and the guy that, who signed the letter was the general manager who he didn't like and they knew real well and he said, Oh, he's just trying to keep a good ball player out of the, <laughs> out of the league. He's a bullshit. He says, We'll sign you and you know, we'll give you the same amount of money and this type of thing. So it all worked out that way. That's how I got it. and then they said, Well we're gonna take you we're we're not gonna activate you this week because we we're gonna take you as the extra guy. Let's see back then when he flew to the West Coast. Or anywhere he went, uh-huh. uh, they always took, especially the West Coast. They always took, took an extra ball player from one whoever they might be able to use. And of course, he knew that I could do a lot of things, so they knew I could help him if they. Because he didn't, we didn't come back. See, a lot of people never realize that the NFL was like being a basketball team <laughs> or a baseball team. You, you you traveled a lot, right? So when you went out, they set your schedule up so that if you played in Buffalo, I mean, if you were in Buffalo and playing in California, you usually had to play Oakland or one of the other teams out that way, even Denver, 
one year we played five games. We were on the road for five games. Wow. Before we got home. <laughs> okay, so here's what went down. McDowell suffered terribly from migraine seizures, and the Oilers didn't want to risk playing him for fear of something worse happening. So they put him on the bench, and that was it. After the season, they cut him, and the Oilers actually didn't paint a pretty picture of McDowell's health. But there were other teams willing to take a risk on Ron, and one of them was the Minnesota Vikings. Now, an interesting sidebar here. According to McDowell, the Vikings were actually going to be in the AFL. However, somehow they wound up becoming an NFL team, and this actually led to the creation of the Oakland Raiders. Now, back to Ron. He didn't make the Vikings, and he went home and decided to call upon his college education and become a teacher. But not too long after he arrived home, Lou Saban of the Buffalo Bills called, and he asked Ron if he would join him and the Bills. McDowell accepted, and the rest, as they say, is history. And playing in Buffalo, I mean, that was a great break for you to end up with Buffalo because obviously you end up spending eight years there. But what what I found fun was, I guess at first, the Bills played at War Memorial Stadium and practicing there wasn't really the easiest thing to do. So you guys had to sometimes get on a bus and go find a place to practice. Tell me about that. Oh, yeah. Well, we had <laughs> The AFL was an experience. There's no doubt about that. We we played that. We used to get on a we'd get on a bus and drive around town until we found a facility we could practice in, <laughs> which could be a baseball time and some little kids we'd run off of their place, <laughs> stuff like that. Even the beginning in the Cardinals, back when I was with the Cardinals, we we didn't we had we had the big. You know, the big state baseball stadium there, but we weren't allowed to be on the baseball stadium. Right, right. We had to, we had to practice in some park, you know, that type of thing. And then we practiced in a, a, a what we do? Oh, a stadium, um, a, kind of a, a training facility for animals for a, a deal that they had going on. It was, it was interesting. <laughs> uh, now, Ron, you said the best teams that you ever played on were the two championship teams you played on in Buffalo in 1964 and 1965. Tell us a little bit about those teams. What made them so special, and who were some of the other great players that you played with? Well, on the Buffalo team, of course, we had uh, Jack Jack Kemp, who was my roommate, uh, of course, was our, our quarterback, and at that time, and then we had a great. I think the big advantage we had on that team was that we we were able to take. We took a bunch of guys out of Canada. Uh huh. Like Cookie Gilchrist. I mean, Cookie Gilchrist is unbelievable. Right. And uh, he did he, he soon run over you. Then they else. So we had a lot of good ball players because we were getting a, that. They have to realize that was getting late in the year, or well, that was getting ready to start. And people were trying to pick up players or find players, so we started picking up players sometimes. And uh, I was kind of a pickup for him too, also. And so we had Tom Sestak, and, and, and our defensive line. I, I think we set a record 
and I think it still exists. We had uh, uh, seventeen. Yeah. Seventeen games uh, no without allowing, yeah. Seventeen games without allowing a rushing touchdown. How good right. were those defensive teams? Yeah, that was a that was a great defensive team. There's no doubt about it. And that was a great defensive line, and we just had a, we were just picking up the right guys at the right time, I guess. And some of them were already there, but we had some great receivers, and 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 it was just almost like luck. But um, and when we lost somebody, it seemed like somebody else would just pop up, and he'd be a great performer, and he didn't think he even existed in that situation. Mm-hmm. So that was a that was a the big thing about that team. There's no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. Of course, <laughs> once I got traded over the Redskins, I mean I couldn't ask for anything any better. I mean George. George is a great coach and a great guy to play for. Mm-hmm. And his old hood, I mean, his concept of the game was what we needed. <laughs> right, right. He went the older guys. He says, I don't have time to teach people how to play football. <laughs> said, they better know how to play when they get here. And that was just about the way it was. And he did. He really did. He paid you well. Uh, he uh, it was smart. He was, he, was, he was all defense, but. We had, we were all defensive. We didn't make. He said, "Oh, be bitched about if you jumped off sides or you made mistakes, things which all coaches hate anyway." So you just kind of, if you lived by how he did everything and, and paid attention, then you did all right. And and of course, we had like John, Jack Pardee was like our general right. on the field and. He had cancer and he was playing at that time, and uh, we, we, you know, we just didn't make mistakes. We could run. We knew what everybody knew how to play the game, and they knew how to play it uh, how he wanted to play it, and and so we, it was not a situation where we you know, like jumped off sides. I mean, he, you didn't want to jump off sides. You didn't want to make any mistakes if you could help it, because right. you're going to hear about it all week. Right. And he paid you incentives. Mm-hmm. With, uh, also, you know, I mean, I had, what, 13 interceptions or something? Right, which something is still like a record. Time for a recap. So, after playing his college ball at Nebraska, Ron McDowell signed with the St. Louis Cardinals, who had drafted him in the fourth round of the NFL draft, instead of signing with the AFL's Denver Broncos. But McDowell's time in St. Louis was short. His new coach, Wally Lem, cut him. Lem had just come over from the Houston Oilers, who, as we said before, were now coached by Pop Ivey, who had resigned as Cardinals coach at the end of the 1961 season. Ivey, wanting to build a strong defense, asked McDowell to sign on with the Oilers. But after just four games, McDowell was shelved with severe migraine seizures. The Oilers cut him after the season, and just before the start of the 1963 season, McDowell signed on with the Buffalo Bills, and he stayed with the team for eight years. And he attributes much of his professional football success to his coach in Buffalo, Lou Saban. Lou Saban, and of course, uh, George Allen, the best two coaches I ever played for, and I, I played for some other guys that were pretty good, but... They 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 were doers. They they always were uh, making out the right decision at the right time, and and they knew there was 
they knew the game knew it real well. And uh, but um, Lou, uh, he uh, he was basically the same way. You know, he had you know had a good quarterback. Jack Kemp was a good quarterback. Uh-huh. And you know, didn't, didn't gamble a lot, and then took it. He could throw the ball and do it very well, and that type of thing. And we had a great defense. And of course, both of those guys were defensive guys. I mean, right. George was a defensive guy, and so was uh, uh, Saban and uh, Lou. And so he worked out. So we got this advantage. We, when I got there with them, he changed. <laughs> I went from offensive. They had an offensive tackle got hurt in that game, and I went from offense the next game. Uh, the defense, the defensive end, Tom Day was the other end. He was a guard, and they moved him from guard to, uh, to the other end. And so that was about that was the front four, and of course Tom Sestak, who was you know became a fantastic star. Uh, later on, passed away at towards the end of his career. Right, but uh, uh, that was it, and we we were able to get it done. And, and guys, everybody were in the same boat, and and everybody got along, and all the things that you have to do. You didn't have anybody that thought he was special or anything else, and you know, you just had guys that wanted to play football. And boy, did you guys play it well, because in 64 and 65, like we said, you won the AFL championship each year, but each year you were the underdogs to the San Diego Chargers, and you beat them each time. You beat them in 64, (laughs) and then in 65, you smoked them 23 to nothing. Tell us a little bit about those games. Why were the Bills the underdogs, and what did you guys do to beat the Chargers? Well, we just outplayed them. <laughs> <laughs> we, you know, we well, it's like we played them a lot. You know, we played them. You know, we played them twice together, back and then that. Uh-huh. And when you play people, you get the more like anything else. It's like even in baseball, if you're playing against the same team, and they do some things that are along the line and everything else. But in football, you. You know, you know, you you can't do two more than what you normally do, right? And so, you if you under if you understand the players, find how they do certain things, um, it's it's you know it's really a big key. Uh, a lot of the guys when I was playing, and it's, it's not didn't really they they just they played the game and went out and did anything else. They didn't really anticipate what may happen or what's going to go on or what you had to do to make something work. Uh, the big thing is that you got you had to be able to catch the ball or do this or do that or run well, and it seemed like everybody would uh, just perform. Whoever we didn't have that day or that week, uh, we had guys that would get out there, and, uh, and all of a sudden they they're like stars. <laughs> right, right, right. And they do everything right, and uh, and we had also other guys that had big plays that that. Uh, Normally, that didn't happen. And uh, other than saying it's lucky, uh, that's really what it amounted to. We uh, and there was a, a great companionship, and the coaches and and the, you know, the trainers, and everybody worked out together, and uh, we were all involved in the same thing. And 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 that, I think that's what was the biggest key. And of course, Buffalo, they 
No, they they were always <laughs> no one wanted to play in Buffalo in a sense. Right. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm talking about players. I remember back when we were getting drafted, and then the guys uh, didn't want to be playing Buffalo. <laughs> they didn't want to get drafted there, and, and you know where the, they didn't care where they went. But uh, uh, that was the situation. So it was kind of like we were. We started off as kind of like an underdog type of thing, and. Uh, but we were able to, I guess, just make that hang with us, and uh, it, it it worked. And so uh-huh. uh, I think that was the biggest thing, other than the fact that we were very fortunate of getting some other players. We made some good trades and things uh-huh. like that. But basically, when you're running together and you're winning and and, and everything is going pretty good, uh, it, it, it's amazing how successful you can be. In 1964, the Buffalo Bills won the AFL's Eastern Division with a 12-2 record. The San Diego Chargers went 8-5-1, and they had to play without their superstar wide receiver Lance Allworth, and that really tilted the game in Buffalo's favor. Plus, the Bills hosted the game at War Memorial. The Bills had also beaten the Chargers in both regular season meetings, and the Chargers struggled down the stretch, losing three of their last four games. San Diego opened the 1964 championship game by going 80 yards to take an early 7-0 lead. But that would be it for the Chargers, as Buffalo's defense tightened up and did not surrender another point as the Bills won their first of back-to-back titles 20-7. The 1965 AFL championship game was played in San Diego. The Chargers repeated as Western Division champions going 9-2-3, while Buffalo went 10-3-1. The Chargers were installed as six-and-a-half-point favorites after having thumped Buffalo earlier in the year 34-3 and tying Buffalo on Thanksgiving 20-20. In this third meeting of the season, the championship game, Buffalo's defense played one of its best games of the season and led the Bills to an upset victory in San Diego, 23-0 for their second straight AFL championship. Prior to the 1966 season, the NFL and AFL talked merger. However, the two leagues still played separate schedules, but agreed to stage the first ever Super Bowl, although at the time it was called the AFL-NFL Championship Game. The Bills had their sights set on making a return trip to the AFL Championship and play for the right to play the NFL Championship. Well, the Bills went 9-4-1 to capture the Eastern Division Championship, and the Kansas City Chiefs won the West by going 11-2-1. Now, even though the game was played in Buffalo, the Bills couldn't do much, and the Chiefs won convincingly 31-7 to advance to the AFL-NFL Championship game, where they ultimately lost to the Green Bay Packers 35-10. The 1966 season really signaled the end to the Bills' dominance of the AFL and the end of Ron McDowell's days as a Buffalo Bill. But for the purpose of today's podcast, and before we move on to the end of McDowell's days in Buffalo, there are a few other areas we covered. Now, now Ron, when you played football, back then it was a little different than it is today. 
You needed off-season jobs. You negotiated your own contracts <laughs> because you didn't have agents. Yeah. How did the game differ? How much could a football player expect to make back in the 1960s? It ain't like it is uh, today, that's for sure. Like I said, you had to have off-season jobs. What was it like? Well, yeah, it was completely different. Uh, of course, I, <laughs> my major in college was, was, was uh, industrial art shop. I taught school, you know what I mean? I was a shop teacher. That's what I took in college. <laughs> and so, and you had, so and you had, the, and, oh, and oh. in the off season, you taught, didn't you? Well, I taught, and I also built, you know, what you call today, you know, the, the housing, you know, what do they call that now? The, the Prefab who, houses or uh, yeah, or the, houses, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what we did. We, <laughs> uh, there was two or three of us playing. Uh, two of us were playing that were actually in the same field. And so we, <laughs> we'd we get together in the off season and, and rehab somebody's house. Uh-huh. And that's how we made money. Or we could get Renovate, down yeah. things like that. Lots of those carpenters. I mean, of course, I was a teacher, but I taught the stuff on the house. And so we, we, we had to have jobs. Especially if you had a family at any time. Of course, I had uh, two children at that time, and uh-huh. we, uh, we, you know, we you, you couldn't goof around. Usually, your wife worked, did something, pot school, did whatever it was, and so that's how you made your money. Of course, uh, you know, the, my first contract, you know, the, 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 I remember uh, when I get four thousand, no, nine thousand dollars, which was a lot of money at that time coming out of school, but. I got nine thousand dollars for the season, so. But that still wasn't that even way. even even nine thousand dollars when you multiply it and you you account for the time, and and how inflation has worked still doesn't equate to the millions upon millions of dollars that the guys make today because you <laughs> had to work yeah. in the off season. I'll never forget my father telling me his first job. He made $50 a week. And I said, but dad, back then, $50 a week. He goes, Warren, no matter how you slice it, $50 a week is $50 a week. A lot of money. (laughs) (laughs) It should have been. Yeah, yeah, it was was tough. That was the only thing that was really bad about it. I mean, as far as playing and doing and saying anything else, you just couldn't make a lot of money. I. And I, that's why I was happy when I got traded to Washington. To Washington, George was a big incentive man, and you know he he would give you clauses in their contract. Uh-huh. And so I guess that's why I worked so hard in trying to get those clauses because I'd have about uh, thirteen or fifteen. You know, if I led the defensive lineman and tackles, I got so many dollars for the amount that I got, and then of course I had to, I got five thousand dollars for. The, Interception. So at 13, I was getting rich. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, how big was it? How big was it when Joe Namath came in and got that huge contract, like $400,000? Were you guys jealous? Were you envious? What was that like? Well, 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 we knew him really well because uh, his roommate was on our team when they were down there in Alabama. Uh, and uh, so we knew what was going on all the time. We, we couldn't believe it. 
when they were negotiating his contract when he was in New York. But see, his the head the guy that owned the ball the Jets at that time was a, a, a Hollywood guy, right? You know, and so the stars always got paid big money, and that's why he did that. He gave him all that money because he knew he could draw people to, to the stand, and so we. Well, we, we knew all what he was doing. <laughs> uh-huh. You know, you, you had those great years in Buffalo, but those last couple of years you were there, they, they got pretty tough. And um, Lou, Lou Saban was gone, and you brought in a new coach, John Rock. Um, <laughs> you, you really didn't get along with him. What happened? What 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 was it about John that um, made life difficult playing in Buffalo? Well, the first thing was is that he was – his personality wasn't the best in the world. He, uh, uh, see, you have to realize we'd been a winning group almost completely to the man, and we all were playing our own jobs. Well, he started trying to change the whole defense around and trying to do this and trying to do that. And uh, Ralph Wilson, of course, was a, the owner at that time. Ralph uh-huh. was a pretty good guy. And so... I mean, I, I have no complaints. That's how I got to New York. I mean, got to Washington, and so, so. Uh, but when we our first season with him, hell, he changed. He put people out of position where we, you know, like Dunaway was was good at doing certain things. He could get a lot of penetration from inside and everything else. Well, he moved Jim to the, a position where he would not even you know, be in the right area that he could help. And, and other situations like that. So then it got kind of, then we couldn't beat anybody either, and people were unhappy, and it really was like a, and well, obviously Wilson made me and made a big mistake. Mm-hmm. But Roush, Roush got on television one day and started slamming all the older guys and said they couldn't do this and they couldn't do that, and, and that's why he couldn't win, and that type of thing. And so there was, there was really no one on the team that, even one of the, <laughs> and I was one one of the captains, and so uh, I I I talked to him one day. One I said, you know, if we can, you know, you how do you talk to a coach without trying to tell me like tell him what to do? And so you try to get yourself and try to explain to him that maybe we can change this around or that around and that type of thing. But I how I got involved in this thing a little bit was that. And John, Luce, I mean, uh, uh, George Allen was calling him every night at uh, 3 o'clock in the morning. because <laughs> He wanted you. He said, uh, yeah, he wanted me. He wanted me to be on the Hoover Hill gang. So he said, I, I mean, I never talked to George on the phone I think that, on that situation. But I had we had a function going on. And this was in the off season. And we, I was back there for that. And he came over and uh, Wilson came over to me and said, he says, you know, your coach is driving me crazy. I says, what do you mean you're putting my coach? I mean, I'm there. Uh, he says, George Allen. He says, guys, he calls me at 3 o'clock in the morning. He wants to trade for you. He wants you. He wants you. And I said, well, uh, he, he said, I said, I, uh, you do what you want to do. He said, well, I don't want to get rid of your program. One of the best ball players we got. So anyway, that was kind of the only exposure around. Then that became a big problem in town, see. Uh, that press thing, there was a lot of guys, McGuire and, and 
people and the quarterbacks involved. And so he 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 did he moved the he traded me for uh, I guess it was four draft choices. Right. So John uh, Roush traded you to the Redskins. But before you left Buffalo you guys sure had some fun in Buffalo. Tell me about those legendary Halloween parties. <laughs> well, we would, everybody, McGuire was kind of the leader of the party stuff. Of course, and then we had, we, everybody kind of filled in. So they just said, well, we just have you know, a, a, a party ourselves. So we picked out Halloween. And so the party was always held at, my place, I bought a old brewery and made it into a home <laughs> out there in Eaton, New York. Uh-huh. And, uh, it, and, and, and so that was the main place. We'd go for the parties. And, uh, I mean, we didn't, it was our house. It wasn't, it wasn't a barn. And um, so we'd have these Halloween parties, and everybody dress up in these costumes and come, but we had to make sure it wasn't on game day. <laughs> <laughs> and they were sort of secretive. You didn't let other people know you had to be a part of the team. Yeah, exactly right. And then when OJ came, he, he was a pain in the butt for a while, right on, but he didn't <laughs> bother us any money. I mean, any point. And so we, we did it. McGuire was a big leader in most of that stuff. And because he owned him and says that, own two bars and that kind of thing, and so that was that was a lot of fun. That kind of kept us going during that period of time, mm-hmm. so, uh, in the early part. And so, but everybody they they would you know they dress up in some kind of. You know, I went one year as a big chicken, and because uh, it was <laughs> something like that, and then uh, and, oh, crazy costumes. Now I, so I, everybody enjoyed it. Uh huh. I also heard that you you guys had a rather large appetite and that you were barred or banned from eating at certain restaurants where where you could eat all you can eat. And they didn't want you to come back. Oh, yeah. Well, Delaware and I used to hit a lot of bars, uh, pizza places, <laughs> everything like that. But when, when Jim... Funny about Jim, Jim didn't even drink. <laughs> he didn't drink beer, and he just ate all the food. <laughs> <laughs> and, and those guys couldn't make money if you guys were eating there, right? No, not really. <laughs> so, we, you know, it was a it was a fun place to be in that period of time, uh, especially when when we were had such a good team uh-huh. and getting going with them. Uh, like everything, it doesn't last forever, you know. No, and and so, so gradually so, things disappear. <laughs> so, so you were traded from Buffalo to Washington, where you spent eight years. So, tell me a little bit about the differences in playing for an historic NFL franchise like the washington redskins as opposed to playing for a team in the afl like the buffalo bills what were the differences and and how did the styles differ between the two leagues well the biggest problem the biggest thing is a lot different than than, what a lot of people don't think about when at the beginning and when we uh uh, you know started the we we had a the, the afl was kind of um, they were a, a, a run team in the situation, 
And we had all these great receivers and stuff. Not that that day NFL didn't have great receivers, but we we uh, threw a lot of passes. You know, we had people like Lance Allworth, and I mean, I can name them forever. And so it was a little different game. And most of the the NFL at that time, you start looking at places like Detroit and Chicago, people who had running back, these big runners, you know, uh-huh. the runners and things like that. It was more of a running game type of thing. So a lot of people liked the they liked the idea of seeing the bomb go down the field. You know, I mean, long distance and throwing a ball compared to maybe somebody, you know, running head on in the something on the sideline type of thing. Uh-huh. And that was probably the main thing as far as uh, the playing, but then there was the idea that there was enough different between the teams uh, as far as personnel and that stuff that uh, people liked. They liked the idea that uh, you know, they've created a, a, a completely different type of thing on the field. You had one team that probably is a more of a running team, another team would be a, more of a passing team, mm-hmm. and then there was always this other. And so they, I, I think people liked that, but they, but then when it became a rivalry type of thing, it was the idea of who could beat who and this type of thing. And then they, what they did, they just didn't want to spend money. <laughs> right, right. Because <laughs> when they, they tried to, we could never get it to, uh, I mean, I remember when they made their moves and stuff and they, I was, I was, I was in, uh, school in Nebraska. And I remember getting a phone call and Saban saying, we want you here tomorrow on a plane. Huh, huh. And before that, before that, they don't even want to talk to you in the offseason. Huh. You know, they want, you want to talk about contract, they don't want to talk to you. you know, they don't want to pay any more than they have to. Right. And so, so I said, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> so anyway, so I flew back uh, and uh, Met with them and everything else, and they they wanted me to sign a two year contract. Well, you couldn't get them to even give you a. They didn't give you any type of bonus or anything. And I said, two years? You sure? <laughs> and I said, uh, I said I don't know about that. So I, I really didn't sign a two year. I was one only guy didn't sign a two year contract because everybody else said they give you fifteen or going to give you. 30,000, you know, type of thing. And they run them. So, well, everybody started going crazy about that. That's when it really started to make moves and people started, you know, things were happening. People started trading, trading other guys around. So that's when it really started. But it was like, it was too late. Uh, not forever, but I fortunately I played long enough that uh, by getting bonuses off of George, I uh, think, you know, it was a big help. Sure. Uh, to make more more money. But that was one of the biggest things about it. And uh, uh, I don't know. The only other thing is, is that there was sometimes uh, um, you were trying to get to another team and, and it, it didn't work out type of thing. But uh, that was the main thing. The play, still, uh, the game was almost the same. I mean, the plays were a little different, some of them, but... Uh, you're both trying to accomplish the same thing uh-huh. one way or another. And and so eventually the quarterbacks became a big key uh, in getting the ball where they had to and that type of thing. But 
Ron, yeah. what was it like to play for George Allen? Oh, George, uh, you know, he has he just, uh, George was a, a fanatic on, on defense football. I mean, he knew every defense, and he designed defenses. That's why he was a lot of guys. He didn't get along with a lot of the coaches. That's why it took him from ever to get him in a, a Hall of Fame, and, and the fact that his family paid for him to get him in the Hall of Fame. Uh-huh. And because uh, he was always working on something to defeat, you know, the other team, and uh, he'd come up with these different. And what they're doing today is something. It's just he was ahead of his time. Yeah, was he and, ahead of his time? Was George Allen ahead yeah. of his time? Oh yeah, God, he was totally defense. I mean, when you got somebody getting just defense in the death and pays a lot of attention to it and really works on it, uh, it it's it, it, there's a lot of things you can do. And uh, so hey, we had great defenses. Plus, we all were. You know, we were on the field. He never called any plays, realistically. Oh, I can't say he never did, but uh, hardly he ever did. Right, so Jack Party was calling the plays on the field. Yes, yeah. And uh, so uh, we, uh, you know, it was uh, a kind of a, a group uh, concentration. I mean, uh, when you went out and practice, man, you practice. Uh-huh. And you ran everything in the world. Spend a lot of time in the goal line type of thing. You did other things. You helped, you know, we set up different uh, uh, defenses and that type of thing, which is good. So that's that was that was that was one of his big suits. There's no doubt about that. The Redskins weren't very good until George got there, and then he went after all of you veterans. How bad were the Redskins before George Allen got there? They weren't that bad. I mean, they had, we had, uh, the biggest thing is staying healthy. <laughs> uh-huh. When they get older, they're a little, they're a little fragile. <laughs> but we had, no, we had a great joint. We had three quarterbacks with Jurgensen and, and Kilmer. Right. And of course, I played with both Billy and he was the same age. Uh-huh. And we had a quarterback. We were on top. That was kind of the first group put together. And then, we had to party. Our defense was just unbelievable. Uh, and we had all good defensive players and everybody. It was good secondary. We had Fisher playing in the secondary. Everybody thought they could kill him. They couldn't do anything. And he, he, uh, he was great. Then we had, uh, gosh, when you start thinking about it, we had some great uh, middle linebackers with Mario and Carlos. And we had, uh, uh, of course, Jack. Party and then it was just it was just a great team and then we brought up we got uh, bus away from the um, was that, St Louis and so we we had a pretty good team uh-huh. and and they worked together but the way <clears throat> the way we worked and what he did and he was always he was always there and everything answered well and uh, he always had a way to beat somebody. It was just idea everybody had to get together and make sure we do it. Right. What What was his strategy behind building a team with veterans, the Over the Hill Gang? What was his strategy behind doing that as opposed to building a team through youth? Well, it's very simple. It's, first, <laughs> it's, 
the Swiss philosophy was <laughs> if you want if you want to like you know if you want to play football and you want to play this position and if you don't know how to play it, he says but you go somewhere who's going to teach you how to play it because I'm not going to teach you how to play it. I'm going to teach you how to play football, you know. But how to play I'm not well. Gonna, right. I'm not going to train you. You know, you've got to be trained when you get here. <laughs> and and that's what he, that's really what he was talking about. In other words, everybody had to come back. Every time he did it, it was like uh, Christmas during that year when he was trying to pick up all these ball players that he wanted to make his over yoga. And his philosophy is very simple. He said they they don't make mistakes. Right. You, know, you, you, you don't make mistakes. I mean, when I watch a game today, I say the same thing. I sound like him. I can just hear him saying it now. What the hell are you thinking about when, he, when you <laughs> did this? Can you hear the call? You know, it's not like it's a secret. You know, don't you know whether it is and that type of thing. And whoever told you to go that way in this situation. And so he, he would correct you uh, if you were doing something. But he just didn't. He wouldn't tolerate it. You played for George, for example. And like you mentioned to me about running for across the field. He, if, you, if you didn't run on the field, he'd fire you. Ha. Ha. <laughs> I mean, really would. I mean, even in practice. And so uh, he wouldn't fire everybody because he, he had favorites like anybody else. Mm-hmm. You know, he got Deacon Jones with us for a year. And hell, Deacon he was a hell of a ball player. And then, of course, he played for George. And... Uh, we had, that's what it was. Everybody was like, oh, no, no. I mean, Jurgensen held the quarterback. And you go down the line of the guys who were out there, they, they all knew how to play the game and how to do it. And he sure didn't need anybody making mistakes. And he said, he says, you want to leave here or her and just make a couple of mistakes. And he went, because this was who was. I'll get rid of him. I'll sell him to somebody else and get whoever I can get to be better. So he really disliked uh, uh, making mistakes in the game because it says it's like anything else. You strike out or you grab somebody, he leaves a hold of somebody, then it, that cost the whole team whatever we did to make 13, 20 yards, and you're caught holding somebody or grabbing somebody or tackling somebody, then we lose that plus the other yardage. Right. So right. that was the thing that, and so his philosophy was, I'm going to get me in. all the older guys that I know, which he did, most of them all played with him. Um, I was the only one that not played with him. And uh, the uh, the other guys, you know, that was it. And they tried to fill in where they could. And if, this, if there was somebody that popped up to make it, make it available, then he grabbed them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and that was just, that was how he worked. That's just exactly how he worked. And uh, and it he worked. The and it worked. For oh yeah, him. it worked. Oh god, yeah, it worked. Yeah, you guys it went worked. to the 1972 Super Bowl against the Miami Dolphins, the legendary Dolphins team that went undefeated, and unfortunately, you were their final victim, losing in '72, 14 to seven. My question right. to you is this. You said the most, the best teams you ever played for were the Buffalo Bills teams 
of 64 and 65, but the team that you had the most fun with was the 1972 Redskins. Can you tell me about that? What made that team so much fun? Well, it was like we, we all knew what the objective was. You know, when you're kind of playing football, when you start out playing football, you know, you don't, you, you don't, you don't know what your philosophy is. A lot of things. They're going to teach you this. Because you don't know. Because playing in college at that level and everything else, uh, it's not that, you know, you don't, you're getting taught. They're trying to teach you how to play the game and you know, where to run, how to do this way, that type of thing. Um, and then add you in what they do. But George's team was just like, George's team, there's a guy next to you. If you want, if you want to run a stunt of some type, you just tell him, ah. <laughs> and he knows he knows what the hell you're talking about. I mean, so that's I, what I made it fun. Yeah, that's what made it fun, and I, and I can tell you what's crazy is. Well, unfortunately, a lot of the guys are dying now because of uh, Bill Brundage, for example. Bill, Bill was the other tackling Redskins with us, and, and Bill in the morning draft choice for Lombardi, and Bill's one of the smartest people I've ever been around. And uh, he, was, uh, he was from Colorado. He was uh-huh. a farm boy, farm boy, Christ down. This farm, I said, his farm family, the farm was so big, he said, in the off season, I'll have to drive the tractors around and plow the fields. And he says, one, it takes me an hour to go around one time. <laughs> <laughs> we were playing somebody we tell Picking us a little bit, and of course he's the tackle playing next to me. He's my defensive tackle, and so he said, oh, "I'm going to go in. I'm going to take a go first this time. Let's do. I'm going to cheat a little bit. We'll do this thing else, and then you know we'd make up a kind of a thing else." And so he started. So he would start out with an, with an audible, and he'd say, uh, "All right." He says, "Okay, I'm going to call. It, I'm going to call three numbers. You know, we're getting we're in a huddle. We're getting ready to." I'm going to call three numbers this time. He says, <laughs> I said, okay. He says, if I call anything in the teens, <laughs> if the first number is in the team, I'm going to go first. And if it's only one number, you go first. <laughs> that sounds simple, doesn't it? And I said, okay, okay, that, that's good. I had that shit. No problem. I get up in my scrimmage. Of course, I'm next to him. I'm on the outside of him, so I'm on one side. And and so it's ours. It's ours. Nineteen six, and I and, <laughs> and there's nothing as what he just told me. You know what I mean? And and and, I, and so after the play, of course, I screwed it up. I jumped up. I went first. I went before it. <laughs> and I got. I went going back to the huddle. And I said, Jesus Christ. I said, How do you expect me? You got me multiplying. <laughs> he says. Well, if you can't work on the combinations, don't join them. <laughs> <laughs> so then I went nuts trying to remember all that shit. That's what he do, things like that. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And, uh, and you'd have to, all of a sudden you're, you're thinking you're, you're going to multiply everything and do everything the other way. But anyway, uh, that's one of the big things here. You're, you're, you can do that because that's Georgia's the type of thing. Same thing with the linebackers. They'll call, call you. Uh-huh. They'll call audibles and stuff. 
uh-huh. and you got to pick them up. And and then you, you what would happen is that if it's a defensive like what Jack, anything Jack ever called party was he's the general. You had to run it, no matter what. If it was running a, a stun off of a thing or run a a, a, a safety up through the middle or whatever, you had to run the and he would call it. So he called it whatever anybody else called or any type of stuff. It was it was uh, off, and uh, that was that kept you from running over each other type of thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you did things like that, and, and we, they were difficult. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. so you really had to pay attention to what we didn't do or couldn't do, because uh, they they knew what they they were doing. They they were going to blitz somebody maybe. And they knew what lane they wanted to open up, and they wanted to make sure your big fat ass wasn't in that <laughs> lane. Because <laughs> you're going to catch hell when you get to the bench. <laughs> hey, Ron, you played you played nine years in the NFL, nine years in the AFL. Uh-huh. How much do you yeah. think playing so many of your 18 years in the AFL might have affected? Up to this point, your chance of being elected into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. After all, only one player who played his entire career in the AFL has been enshrined, and that's Billy Shaw. I mean, when we look back at your career, we have to scratch our head and say, why isn't Ron McDowell in the Hall of Fame? Well, let's see. I never, you know, when I played... Started playing football in college. Uh, I was, you know, of course, uh, I never thought about anything other than playing the game or, or in baseball. I wanted to play baseball, but uh, uh, it was just one of those. But when I got into pros, uh, I never really gave it a thought. Uh, I, you know, well, uh, in Nebraska, for example, uh, we had a, a pretty decent team and. Uh, uh, we upset Oklahoma that year and be uh, and and upset them at the end of the year and we won awards and shit like that. But the thing is that I you don't you don't think I mean I never really thought about uh, making the Hall of Fame or something. Uh, I wasn't even thinking about that at that time. I well I was wondering how I could get myself back on the bench. Baseball football team, <laughs> baseball <laughs> team. <laughs> but um, they, um, that's something that uh, when you come, you know, you just you just figure, do what you got to do and do everything you can do. And and, and the biggest thing is you're trying to keep your job, and and so you're trying to play the best you can play, and you're trying to come up with uh, things that will help you, and and try to work on other things. Other thing is try to stay healthy. Because it's it's very difficult to make it in the Hall of Fame if you can't stay healthy. Because you get if you got a bad ankle or bad this every week or something, it, it's just not going to happen. And then you know you don't you're not here. Like Mick Tangeloff, he made the Hall of Fame, and Mick was our center behind me. I mean, I was in the center a year behind me. Right. But uh, uh, I I I can see why he made it because when he was. Well, I only played against him. I'm not any physical. I did. Uh, in the playoffs one year, we played uh, Minnesota, 
and uh, we had somebody hurt. So I played over him for a quarter, uh, and uh, that way, and he, you know, uh, I knew he was a good football player because I played with him. <laughs> right. And, uh, so, uh, and that that's just the way it is. And he'd tell you the same thing. He just <laughs> He says, he says, I was on the field all the time. And so he said, I think maybe most people just wanted to honor Because <laughs> then I was always, he didn't miss any games, things like that. You played 18 years. There's something to be said for that. Yeah, it, it, it's, it was, it was, uh, the main function, I, I really think, was that I, I did. I stayed, I played. I, I played. Uh, and the fact, one of the funny things about it, it's not, well, I guess not funny, but when I really got back playing, uh, after when I got to Buffalo and then we started to play, uh, it was, uh, interesting because I, I really concentrated. In fact, <laughs> I, I had this problem. If I got knocked, if I got knocked, I got knocked out once again. And, but I mm-hmm. never would. Well, I, 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 I'll, I'll say two more times because there's a couple of times I should have. I, would, I, I had it in my mind because of what happened to me is that, uh, you know, I got hit in the goal line one time. Zonka hit me uh, with his knee. I don't know how many did that, but I was trying to tackle him. And anyway, uh, I just knocked me. Uh, I, I, couldn't, I just would head for the sideline. I just make sure I had the right sideline. <laughs> <laughs> I'd head for the sideline uh, as soon as I could because I did not want to be taken off the field in any way, like right. on a stretcher. I didn't. I didn't want to have because it was bring back. I kept bringing back uh, any time I, I knew what had happened, and so that bothered me a lot. I, uh, I there's only I said two other times because I was just always afraid if I. Had to go back through all that other crap again. Uh, that would be the end of it. So I never really thought about it other than don't get knocked down, don't get knocked out of the game, uh, don't get put them in a suspicious where they can take you over to the hospital. Because <laughs> I didn't, I just thought it, it happened again, maybe. But then there was just the other point is that I was able to just uh, avoid things. Kind of, I tried to study the game, uh, and I knew what they were going to do. Things like that. You know, a lot of funny things you can do on your own. For example, you got, you know, you study the plays, and you know what they can run or can't run. So if you know what they can run and can't run, then you know what to look for. So you, you kind of, for example, you come out and you got a backfield, and of course I'm playing on the end, left end, uh, uh, most of the time. My career. I was a left end when I was a St. Louis. I mean, with the Redskins. Uh-huh. And and it's a <laughs> it's the back. You were looking. You always study the guy's eyes. I did. Uh-huh. I study their eyes. So I look for motions. Look for through how it placed their feet. Everything else. And uh, Fisher helped me. We do that kind of stuff. He says that's how he covers receivers. He watches how they set up. Finds out what they do. Well, you know, and he says, it's a hell of a lot easier to meet him where he's going instead of chasing him. <laughs> sure, sure. Absolutely. And, and so you look for that type of little thing. 
so I did a lot of that, that, that type of stuff. And because, you know, you come out, Jack Bardee taught me a lot of that stuff. Jack was a great guy about that. God, he'd, he'd call out and tell you, you know, that if there was two backs in the backfield, of course, he's on the outside of night, you know, outside me and I'm on the inside. You know, so if they, if they, they he, he thought the guy was cheating or the quarterback like when they check off, if they check off, uh, if the guy changes his stance uh, or looks the other way, then he knows he's not coming at us. But he'll tell you, he'll just start yelling, right, 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 right. And so you know the ball's not coming at you. So, sure. um, and things like that. I mean, there's a lot of different situations. Same thing on blocking kicks and punts and things like that. I don't know how many of those damn things. <laughs> so, anyway, um, we're snapping the ball. We actually snapped the ball in the Super Bowl that we lost. And then we got called for uh, being offside. But we weren't. We worked all week on that damn thing. <laughs> <laughs> but that's beside the point. And uh, so you do things like that. And I suppose that really makes a difference on it. But the bottom line is, I was able to stay healthy the rest of the day. Never got hurt again in any way other than bumps and bruises. And uh, so I figured that's, that was good enough. Yep. Hey, Ron, I want to thank you so much for taking some time to spend with me on Sports Forgotten Heroes. You had a terrific career, and I really enjoyed speaking with you. Well, I appreciate it. And, uh, I'm a pusher at least you remember who I was. <laughs> <laughs> Hard to forget. Ron McDowell, okay. thanks so much. All righty. Ron McDowell enjoyed a wonderful, if not sometimes spectacular, career. His 12 interceptions are still a record for a defensive lineman. His first season in Buffalo, he recorded two safeties. That was 1963, and he added a third safety in 1976 while playing with the Redskins. He also recovered 14 fumbles, and he scored two touchdowns, one on an interception and one on a fumble. Ron played in a total of 240 games and started 107. He was twice named Outstanding Defensive Player of the Year by Washington and is listed as one of the top 70 Washington Redskins of all time. Is he Hall of Fame caliber? Well, some say yes. And if Canton and the Pro Football Hall of Fame think he is, then now is the time to induct him while he is still here to enjoy such an honor. I'd like to thank Ron once again for taking the time to spend with us on Sports Forgotten Heroes. His book, The Dancing Bear, My 18 Years in the Trenches of the AFL and NFL, is available on Amazon or at ronmcdole.com. Next time on Sports Forgotten Heroes, we're going to go back to hockey and we're going to talk about one of the most irrelevant teams of all time, a team that so few remember or have ever heard of, but a team that played two years in the NHL during the mid-1970s, the Kansas City Scouts. 
Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time on Sports Forgotten Heroes.